From WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Thank you for joining us. Cape Fear Community College. It's home to hundreds of dedicated faculty and thousands of hardworking students. But over the last four years, there's been a cloud over the college. In 2018, the college's board of trustees hired Jim Morton as president without holding a job search first. That was over the objection of three college trustees, including County Commissioner Jonathan Barfield, who wanted a formal search to be conducted. Morton was hired despite the fact that he didn't meet the required qualifications of previous postings for this job. Morton didn't have a doctorate, and he hadn't met the required time in college administration. What Morton did have, according to the trustees who voted him in, was business experience, having served for 15 years as the finance director of Wilmington's International Airport. The chair of the board at the time called CFCC a, quote, $100 million business. But after Morton took over, the climate at CFCC began to sour, according to dozens of current and former employees who have spoken to WHQR and other media outlets. In 2020, WECT investigative reporter Ann McAdams dropped a bombshell report with on-the-record allegations against Morton and his administration, including harassment, intimidation, and retaliation. In short, a toxic workplace. Last year, WHQR's Rachel Keith filed her own series of investigative reports with new allegations about that toxic workplace under Morton. And the administration's attempt to quash a faculty survey that showed the effect of that toxicity on the college's staff. Now, Rachel has filed a new series of reports. Once again, we're hearing about the toxic workplace at CFCC, employees who feel ignored or disrespected by Morton's administration. We're also seeing how, for some, Morton's focus on the business of higher education seems to come at the cost of the human side. Morton's focus on the college's financial health is important, of course, but it seems to be part of an environment that is increasingly unwelcoming for faculty, staff, and even students. To unpack all of this, I'm joined now by WHQR's own Rachel Keith, whose three-part series ran this week. Rachel, thanks for being here. Thank you. Okay, to start... I want to get into part one. This was about the potential that Cape Fear Community College is misusing state funds. So for the layperson, explain what's going on here. Yes, I understand that three former employees, uh, Tina Ward, Bonnie McLaughlin, and Nina Taylor, they had 12-month contracts. They had contracts that went until June 30. But the college came in at the end of May and said, we no longer need your services. Go ahead and pack up your office and leave. And there's a specific state board code that says that you cannot use state funds to buy out a contract. So what I found through the records request is that they did pay those employees with state funds in June And if the records would have shown that they switched it over to institutional funds, they would have been fine. But since May, June, both state funds, but then they didn't work at all in June. So that looks like a potential violation. So basically, this is because CFCC faculty are by and large on a contract system. So when you, you know, when you have someone walk away from a year long contract before they're done, that's effectively a buyout. And the state says you can't use our money for that. That's right. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but you initially tried to get this detailed information about what funding stream was going to these employees' paychecks, basically, from the college itself, and they rejected your requests, and the state letter did fill out the request for that same information. 
Mm-hmm. So we had the college saying, this is not a public record, but the state saying, oh, no, this is public. That's right. Um, and unfortunately, we haven't been able to get much in the way of comment from, say, the state auditor's office. Or... Yeah, they explicitly said no comment. Yeah. But nobody in contact said, oh, no, this is fine. That's correct. All right. While you were researching this, um, you also came across the, let's call it, quote, resignation of Jason Chafin. He's the former uh, former vice president. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. So since my September reporting, I've kept in touch with a lot of my CFCC sources. And in the spring, right when Nina and Bonnie and Tina Ward's contracts were not renewed, I found out that Dr. Jason Chafin, who was the vice president resigned. And so people were upset by that. So I tried to figure out what happened. So Chafin, at least we were told by the college, Chafin resigned, but it was a little more complicated. And you actually found, you eventually were able to get a copy of his severance agreement. That's right. And in that severance agreement, it said that they, the college wanted him to resign. And it, even in it, it said that he wanted the college to reconsider so from our original information, it looked like he resigned out of his own volition, but that doesn't look like the case. He has a severance agreement where they are saying, you're no longer needed, but we're going to pay you until the end of August. And I was confused because he wasn't showing up on the personnel reports as leaving. So the severance agreement, that made sense because he technically is going to be paid until August. Yeah, so resignation, but he actually asked the college if he could stay on. They chose to non-renew him. One of the parts that was interesting that you found in his severance agreement, what's called a non-disparagement clause, actually a mutual non-disparagement clause. That's right. Um, The only other time I've seen this in public office recently was with uh, Dr. Tim Markley, who was the superintendent of New Hanover County Schools. He left under enormous political pressure because the um, child sexual abuse scandal uh, was hitting a boiling point there. And he got a almost quarter million dollar contract buyout because he was under contract from the district. Mm -hmm. And that uh, severance agreement, which afforded him that hearty payout, uh, also included a non-disparagement clause. You spoke to Amanda Martin about this. Now, first, tell people who Amanda Martin is. Yes, she's the supervising attorney uh, for the First Amendment Clinic at Duke Law School. And she said in private practice, these are very common, but she doesn't like to see them in the public sector because, again, it, it, it prevents employees to tell, you know, what's really going on at a publicly funded, taxpayer-funded institution. The idea of requiring a public employee to censor himself or herself is bad public policy and could lead to more trouble and administrative problems and reduces the opportunity of the public to get a real understanding of the internal workings of public agencies and public operations. So for all of those reasons, I don't like to see them or I I don't like to see this in this particular separation agreement. Okay, Rachel. So another part of this reporting um, had to do with the FTE department. That's the full-time equivalency department. This was part two of your series. Uh, Breakdown for people first. What What is FTE? It is complicated. I know it's complicated. Yeah. So is for simpletons like me, what is this stuff? It's basically the unit of measure that 
community colleges file with the state. It's usually with coursework, and the coursework is counted through, if you're looking at continuing education, a number of contact hours. If you're looking at curriculum, it's the number of students that showed up before a certain date. It's called a census date. So one FTE equals $4,000. That's probably a good estimate. And so it's really high stakes for any community college. Like just for this year, it looks like FTE from the state accounts for about 60% of CFCC's budget. So it's basically, hey, these students are taking a class in nursing and they have to meet these requirements and then they get an FTE for that course. Right. And there's different tiers and different courses are worth different amounts. But in general, this is how it works. That This is how it works. Yes. Okay. So the, but there are state regulations about, you know, obviously you have to have some guardrails on what the college can claim because there's a lot of money at stake. And so the college's FTE department was, uh, you described it to me as they were kind of the fact checkers for FTE. So making sure that the college isn't basically asking for money it doesn't deserve. That's right. And what I mentioned before, Nina Taylor, she was the director and Bonnie McLaughlin was right under her. And they've been working together pretty much since 2017. Bonnie had been at the college for over 20 years. So they were, again, like you said, the compliance officers to make sure the college was claiming the uh, correct amount of FTE. And they were both let go during, uh, and you reported on this back in May, in what was called Bloody May. Yes, that's how they refer to it. And I've talked to two dozen um, employees over the past year, and that's how they refer to that. So what was interesting to me about this reporting, and it's, I think it's important to drill into here, is that they weren't actually done their review of FTE compliance when they were let go. Because as you mentioned, their contracts were effectively bought out. That was that problematic thing where they used state money and they shouldn't have done that. But they didn't finish their contractual year and they didn't finish reviewing FTE. No, they did not. And that is from Bonnie McLaughlin on the record who said that. She said it's likely that the vice president of institutional effectiveness, Michael Cobb, more than likely finished those reports along with Tucker Lee and maybe one other person that was a leftover from that department, um, finished those reports. And she she and Nina were the experts. And yes, they couldn't finish their spring work. It was given over to someone else. Yeah. And I, I'm not asking you to, you know, say there's cause and effect here, but it's worth pointing out that uh, Nina and Bonnie's work did, from a certain point of view, cost the college money because they were, again, making sure that the college was not claiming FTE that they weren't entitled to. And you know, I think you you did some math to figure out how much less the college was able to claim because of their work. That's right. And I mean, the state audits this. So you have to have a Nina and a Bonnie making sure that they comply with the audit. And if not, then the college could be opened up to previous years for auditing and they could actually have to pay that money, state money back if there's a finding. So on the one hand, I believe you told me it was over a half million dollars during the academic year, a uh, half million dollars less that the college was able to receive and save money. But that's not necessarily money that Bonnie and Nina cost the college because they could have had to pay that back to the state. And an audit could have resulted in paying back other uh, previous FTE and they could get fined. But to me, I just I was struck by the fact that 
you know, their work reduced the overall revenue of the college and then they are let go. I'm not asking you to say there's cause and effect there, but I just I was struck by that. Right. Um, I also want to touch on, you know, Jim Morton himself, uh, CFCC President Jim Morton, has spoken repeatedly about how important FTE is. So this is not some minor, you know, bureaucratic issue. This is really the lifeblood of the college. Yeah, and here he is right now at an in-service speech in August talking about um, enrollment and the importance of FTE. Yeah, and the sound quality here isn't great, so we apologize. But you get a sense of what the meeting was like. Morton kicks off by talking about how competitive he is and then offers a moment of silence for colleges that aren't doing as well as CFCC before he turns to the importance of FTE and that revenue stream. You know, people will say, you're kind of competitive. Like, well, why not? <laughs> but you know, I want the whole system to do well, but I want KQ to do the best. And so, as they say, you know, you're competitive, and um, that's what I'm not very compassionate to. Um, everybody's quiet right now, but I mean, just, I mean, right now, okay, if you want to take a moment, Get a moment of silence for a couple of seconds, okay? I'll tell you why I'm there. That moment of silence is the compassion feeling to those schools that we surpassed when we moved from the seventh largest to the fifth largest. Okay? There is a compassion. That's huge, guys. We did that during the pandemic. So now we're the fifth largest college state. And not only enrollment, but FTE. FTE is really clear. In our enrollment, hadn't picked up as much. We really, really been focused on uh, FTE because that's where the money is. Any organization, the force of the cash is the lifeblood. Without it, you're going to die. You can't survive. You can't thrive. Okay, so... I think this cuts to the core of the complaints some people have about President Jim Morton and the things that other people like about Jim Morton. He is very business-minded, and as we said at the top of the show, when Morton was hired for the job, the reason was his financial expertise and the fact that he was running Cape Fear Community College, or he intended to run Cape Fear Community College, as a business, a $100 million business, actually, as uh, then-board chair Matt White said. So... I get why that's important. I think most people get why that's important. If you know, if the finances of the community college are in trouble, then the faculty is trouble, the students in trouble. Sure. But on the other hand, there is something about that competitive throwing elbows, you know, spirit um, that would make total sense in, say, Silicon Valley, right, or like you know, the publishing industry or any other competitive business. But when it's in higher education, a public service with public money. It just, it, it strikes some people as odd, I guess. Yes. And, you know, I talked to the executive director at the Belk Center. She said that, yes, presidents have to focus on enrollment numbers and FTE because, again, that is where they're getting a lot of their funding. But at the same time, I've been at these uh, board meetings for about a year now, and I'm not, I don't hear too many presentations on student outcomes or how they reach a career. I mean, a lot of the focus is based on enrollment and FTE numbers. And I just found it interesting, too. I went back and looked at when Cape Fear 
um, because Morton really likes to tout this as well as other uh, board members that Cape Fear has the fifth largest enrollment numbers in the state. And he said there that that happened during the pandemic, but the state system numbers say that that started happening in fall of 2019. So it's they've had that designation for a while now. Yeah. The other thing that I think is interesting that you pointed out in your reporting was that in August, uh, Morton was interviewed by the Wilmington Star News. And he was talking about, and this was uh, in response to Biden's um, student loan forgiveness executive order. And Morton was saying that the college prides itself on keeping tuition low. Basically, he's saying his administration had, you know, kept rates low. Um, but as you pointed out, that's not really his bailiwick. The state sets those rates. Yeah, the state sets all tuition rates. That's right. I mean, they have some control over book fees and student fees or how much books are going to cost, but they have no say over how tuition is set. The state sets that. All right. Well, there's more to say about Jim Morton and his administration and more to unpack from Rachel Keith's three-part series on Cape Fear Community College this week. But first, we need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schockman here with WHQR reporter Rachel Keith. Rachel, thanks for being here. Thank you. We're talking about Cape Fear Community College, specifically your three-part series, which published this week. And I want to talk about part three, which is two on-the-record interviews with two high-profile program directors, uh, Chip Munna, who ran the EMS program, and Carolyn McCormick, who ran the nursing program. And they both spoke to you after resigning earlier this summer. I don't want to get too far into the weeds with what they told you because those interviews stand on their own. We'll have links to those on the page. But I'm wondering if you could talk about the through line that you've seen with their interviews compared to or alongside of the other people you've spoken to both on and off the record over the last year. Yes. So they represent, you know, EMS and nursing. The college really prides itself on those two programs And what I've heard reflected in their interviews with others that I've spoken with is that when you try to address an issue or a problem, people do not want to address it or they say, oh, that that's not a problem, even though that the directors of the programs are are saying, yes, it is. Um, There's also kind of a lack of respect. It's to them and to others I've talked to about who they are in their position and kind of being grateful and thankful for kind of the service that they provide the community college. Um, You can hear that very clearly in Carolyn McCormick's interview. I mean, she was there for over 22 years. And according to her, you know, she was denied her vacation leave right before she left. So it's kind of these stories that you hear that really make you say, why would they do that? Or And of course, everything that came up in this reporting, I put to the college and said, do you deny that this happened? Or can you comment on this? And I still haven't heard back. So, I mean, I'm just hearing again, over and over again, the lack of care, the lack of communication, the lack of Um, just being invested in the power of the program and the service that they provide. They are creating the next people who are going to be driving your EMS. They're going to be producing the next nurses at New Hanover Regional Medical Center. So 
I want to talk about two things now. They're both about how the college has not responded to various requests. And I want to let people know that you had a lot of things in this reporting that we ultimately trimmed out because we wanted there to be another witness or yes. we thought it was you know distracting from the overall flow of the story. Yeah. But that you did your due diligence and tried to vet out all of these things. And you yes. sent, I believe it was 29 yes. questions, uh, which sounds excessive maybe, but that's how much we had uncovered. That's correct. And so the way, for people who aren't familiar with this, the way Cape Fear Community College does this, unlike some other government agencies, is that everything has to be filed through their public records portal, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, New Hanover County Schools has one of these. Um, some other government agencies have these. But they are designed for public records requests, which is for public documents. These are documents that already exist. They're somewhere, digitally or physically. And you know they exist, you know what they're called, and you said, I would like that. So it's, I want all the emails from the week of August 5th, or I want the, you know, I want the expenses ledger from October. It's if the government is not required to collate information or put it together for you. But if the document exists and it's public, they have to give it to That's you. That's right. So a portal seems like a pretty good way to do that. You put in the request, they send it back to you. But what Cape Fear Community College has been doing is asking a general question. You know, can President Morton comment on this? It's got to go through the portal. Right. So when you sent your 29 questions, it goes into the portal and it basically just disappeared. Yes. Yeah. Nothing. And I was very transparent. I'm having a three part series coming out next week. I would like you to comment on the following. I mean, I don't even I didn't even get no comment. And my past reporting, too, it's the same thing. Can you give me the exact salary number for Jim Morton when he got his raise? I never got that. I had to get that through WECTs and McAdams because they did respond to them. Another time when I was asking about if you followed my reporting on the Marine Technology Program, I also found out information through another reporter. When I had asked directly, I am trying to get out the most accurate information from the college but they continuously refuse that. And then when they even refuse records that Amanda Martin of Duke Law School says that I'm entitled to, I mean, this is becoming problematic. Yeah, so that's the second part. So the first part is we're asking more open-ended questions. You yeah. know? So, for example, um, Chip Mana said that in his, I believe it was five years, he'd only seen Morton three times. And that's, you know, Mana's recollection of it. It could be wrong, you know? Sure. And maybe... Or, or maybe that's what Morton considers to be, you know, appropriate delegation. We don't know because Morton refused to comment. Yeah, and I did say, well, how's your re relationship with your directors? Like, that was an open-ended, hey, you can give me your point of view on how often you see people, you know, in your right. estimation. And that's how reporting usually goes. You know, you talk to a source, you get your documents, you, you put together what you think are the most pertinent questions, and then you bring them to the people in power and ask them. And they have to answer. But in this case, they have utterly refused to have anything to do with that part of the process. So that's one And that's problem. been for a year. And that's been for a year. So that's one problem. And that's they are entitled to do that by yes, law. Yes, sure. Legally, you can make $320,000, $330,000 a year and never talk to the press. It sounds crazy, but that is, you can legally do that. Yeah. Now, what you can't legally do is refuse to comply with public records requests. That's and this correct. is the second part of the problem. Yeah. Where... For years now, um, reporters like you and Ann McAdams, even I've experienced some of this back in the day, um, CFCC takes the strictest 
most stonewalliest uh, interpretation of public records law. And some of them, and I want to come back to this, you know, other people clearly don't see it that, that way. And I think the, the most interesting one was the case of looking at the budget codes. So this sounds very bureaucratic, but I'm, I'm going to give you the high level, is that this is a coded system that's it's a document. It already exists, and it shows every month when an employee gets paid, did that money come from the state or did it come from local government? Because That's right. CFCC, like a lot of other places, like schools, like um, you know, a lot of other entities, there's state money. And then if you want to give them a bump on top of that, because, hey, it's more expensive to live here than, say, Cumberland County. Mm-hmm. So that is coded out. And there's a record of it. And that is public money. And this is one of the things that is personnel law in North Carolina is pretty strict. This is one of the things that is inarguably public. How much you make as a public employee is public. And they categorically, CFCC, categorically refused to turn this over to you. But when you asked the state, they said no problem. And they made it clear that this was not a separate document, right? The state specified, and this is in your reporting. That's right. That, you know, we didn't create this document. So this isn't a different document that we can give you, but CFCC couldn't. They said, this is the same stuff. We're giving it to you because it's public. That's right. And... The college tried to claim that the budget code that you're mentioning was a confidential personnel record. That's what their lawyers, uh, Warden Smith, told them to tell me about why they weren't going to fill it, that the the source of the money is confidential. Yeah, which is hogwash. Um, <laughs> according to, according to uh, public records experts that we have spoken with, and in my personal experience, I, that seems like hogwash. That's right. So, all right. There's been dozens of other examples of this. We don't have time to enumerate. We literally don't have time to enumerate all the time yeah. in which CFCC has tried to use their interpretation of public records law to block requests. But again, I want to reiterate that the overall system that they are using are requests for on-the-record comment to share the college's side of things has turned into a black hole. Yeah. And when you first did your reporting, we haven't talked about this before, but I think we should talk about it now. Okay. When you first did your series back in 2021, the college didn't respond to a lot of your questions, but they did respond in another way by pulling our underwriting. That's right, Ben. They did. And that was hard because I'm just trying to give the public information. And our other reporters here, Megan McDevitt, I actually have done stories of some of the good stuff that the college has been doing. So it's not that our reporting is all trying to get records and get the, you know, deal with really controversial issues. We were actually at a board of trustees meeting where staff was telling Jim Morton about a program that he seemed utterly unaware of that you had reported on earlier in the week. Um, and this was, you know, one of the many good things that CFCC does in terms of, you know, um, helping people find jobs, creating pathways for people from high school through college into various work sectors. You know, they do a lot of great vocational work. They do a lot of, you know, they, they're an invaluable service for people for whom the traditional four-year university path might not be the right path. And we've reported on all of that. But I think, you know, as when you reported something negative, uh, there was um, – now, the, the claims that we've heard is that, oh, they just didn't renew the contract, but the timing was very conspicuous. And I've heard from other people at other media outlets that this is, has happened before. So it's clear that they, you know, they, they have their position on that. So before we circle back around to President Jim Morton's 
administration. I just want to get a quick update on the CFCC Marine Tech program. Uh, you had reported on this earlier this summer. This is where they had changed the compensatory leave policy, which led to some top folks leaving the program and left students in the lurch wondering, you know, what was going to happen? Were they going to be able to go out on this, uh, the Cape Hatteras vessel, which is the fundamental part of the program? So just give us a quick update on what's going on there. Yeah, I'm looking to, uh, I put in a records request on September 2nd for a string of emails between the um, department chair and the vice presidents about what happened to change those contracts. That has not been filled yet, and that's going on three weeks now. So I'm hoping to provide an update pretty soon. All right. So a lot of the reporting that has come out over the last two years does lay the blame for what's going on at Cape Fear Community College at the feet of President Jim Morton. And I think one of the recurring themes we've heard is about Morton's either dedication to or fixation on the finances of the college. I think that's fair to say. But in some of your reporting, it doesn't seem clear that he totally understands how that's actually supposed to work. And there was a key example this summer where he was supposed to provide a very important financial document to the board, which ultimately oversees Morton. And really, it's they're in charge of the college. So w- right. walk me through what happened here. Yeah, so this um, there's a state code that says that the board of trustees, the meeting after the close of the fiscal year, they are supposed to be provided a state expenditure report. And this is a cash-based report. So Jim Morton said he couldn't provide that to the board because – accruals uh, affect this, um, adjustments affect this. But when I went digging in the beginning of July, they had already sent this entire report to the state. So there's no reason that Jim Morton and his staff couldn't provide the expenditure report that was done. So and, And I requested it. And he was within a certain amount of spending range that he was supposed to. So I didn't catch that he didn't spend the right amount. So that was odd. And he's also supposed to present the institutional funds as well. I did not see that. The only thing he presented that was financial was the state reconciliation report, which is when the state sends money each month, additional monies to the college. And it's just a documentation of what the state sends. So no state report, no institutional report at this open meeting. And it seems to be, you know, a little, I don't know, I I think I was a little struck that he, his explanation to the board for this was that the numbers looked, quote, wacky. That's right. He said, quote, wacky, and there was no questions at all. So that leads me to the other question, which is about the board of trustees and how they've handled all of this. You know, back in 2018, when Morton was hired, it upset some of the board of trustee members. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, County Commissioner Jonathan Butterfield Jr. uh, didn't disparage Morton as a candidate, but he said he wanted there to be a public search, which is what many government bodies had done. It's what, um, you know, the university system does. And it's what Cape Fear Community College had done. In the past is what a lot of community colleges have done in the past, although there had been some appointments as well. Not all of those worked out well. We don't have time to go down that rabbit hole. But Barfield said, look, 
you know, a significant amount of county money is going into the college. I am a commissioner as well as a board of trustees member. I have to be a good steward of this public money. So I want to make sure we have the best possible candidate, nothing against Morton, but we should do a public search. Other people were concerned at the time. Um, a lot of off-the-record comments back in 2018, mostly circling around the fact that Morton didn't have uh, a degree. He didn't have a doctoral degree. That's right. Unlike Ted Spring and Amanda Lee, his immediate predecessors. He also, in I think 2015 was the last time they did a public job search. And one of the requirements, not suggested requirements, but requirements was four years in senior college administration, which Morton hadn't reached yet. He was the interim president, but he, he hadn't quite clocked that yet. And so it just struck a lot of people as, why is this guy uh, the pick? That's right. You know, this is a, you know, it's it's a described as some people on the board of trustees as the jewel of the state's community college system. It is a wonderful college. Why not open it up and see to get the best possible talent? Since 2018, you know, Morton has received uh, two separate 10, 10% raises. Yeah. He is now, I believe, among the top highest paid. Yes. And again, it really, uh, it has struck some people as odd that despite his lack of qualifications, uh, despite the fact that he is on occasion taking credit for things that are not his doing, um, he is being rewarded handsomely by the board that seems to rubber stamp his reports to the board, rubber stamps his raises. You know, it has, it has definitely troubled people in our, in our community. And it also seems like the board does not react to a lot of the pretty damning reporting about him. I no. mean, you've been to almost every board of trustees meeting. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard them bring this stuff up? The only time they pushed him was after the September reporting, the meeting that followed that. They said, you have to do this climate survey. And he dug in and said, no, I don't want to do it because all faculty do is complain complain about things about parking and people aren't going to mention the good things that are done at this college. Jonathan Barfield, trustees, uh, Jonathan Barfield and uh, Dolores Rhodes said, no, it's it's time. Um, Eric Brandon is still the faculty association president. He gave a presentation that night and they all voted unanimously to have a third party independent climate survey done. And, you know, he still didn't want to do it. And then Bill Cherry, who's the chair, tried to move on, and Jonathan Barfield said, wait, 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 you know, we're not done talking about this yet. So basically, Jonathan left it, no, we're doing this survey, uh, so start looking at options. But that was it. I haven't seen any other pushback since that meeting, and that was uh, last year. Well, I will say this. We are recording this on Thursday morning, and this evening, there is a Board of Trustees meeting. Your reporting is out. It is on the table. I don't want to ask you for any predictions, but I'll say that uh, in the final segment of this episode, we're going to be talking live uh, after that meeting to see what happens. That's right. We're going to see. And um, I did reach out to one board of trustee member, and his name is Ray Funderburg, and he said, quote, I will refrain from making comments on the news stories until I know more at the board meeting on Thursday. So potentially we might have some comments forthcoming. All right. Well, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will have whatever will have happened at tonight's Board of Trustees meetings and WHQR's Rachel Keith will be with us here to unpack it. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us.
Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman here with Rachel Keefe, and we are live in Studio 4 at the WHQR studios. And we're recording this live because we wanted to be able to fill you in on what happened at last night's Cape Fear Community College Board of Trustees meeting, where our reporter Rachel Keith was. So, Rachel, what was it like? How, what was the scene? So, I arrived at the at Union Station where they have the meeting at three thirty, and I witnessed for their committee meetings. I witnessed that. Um, President Jim Morton and Michelle Lee, the executive director of his office, were pretty jovial. They were talking with a bunch of board members. There was no inclination that there was any kind of intense atmosphere um, that that night. So this comes, I mean, this board of trustees meeting comes after a series of reports that you filed this week talking about, well, all the things that we've detailed in this show so far. Um, now, there was something different about this meeting. They, these are often jovial, and uh, longtime listeners will know that uh, trustees often will eat their dinner while they're there and sort of hang out. And, right. Um, and it is, it is kind of a convivial scene. But there was security. Yes, there was security there. And I've been to these meetings for about a year now. I've never seen uh, sheriff's deputies. Uh, I actually saw two of them. Some people are saying four of them. And sources tell me it's because the students were coming to uh, this meeting and potentially they wanted extra security. They also had an overflow room on the fourth floor for potentially other people coming that they didn't have enough room for. So the students were going to be there uh, for issues with the Marine Tech program, which we'll get to in a right. moment. Um, so also WECT was there. They picked up on your reporting. You were on WECT last night. You did a nice job. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what was what was that like? How did they react to having maybe more press than usual at this meeting? Yeah, it was quite interesting. Uh, they set up right behind Michelle Lee and Bill Cherry, their camera, so you could get a pretty good shot of President Morton and the presentation he was uh, presenting. Um, Michelle Lee got out of her chair and walked over to Sonia Johnson, who's the public information officer officer for the uh, college and said, quote, Jesus, I swear. And so she got Sonia to move the cameras away from behind her and Bill Cherry and went behind other trustees. And when I asked about what happened, they said, because you're behind the table. But they moved them to a place that was also behind the table. So, yeah, I got to say, in some of the audio we're about to hear in this segment, uh, the quality is not great. And that is because it has been very difficult to basically capture what goes on at these board of trustees meetings. Very difficult to get audio in the room. It's a sort of cavernous, oddly shaped room. So it's hard to even with a mic right in front of someone. It can be difficult. It was very hard for me to hear. I had to go back to the tape that we heard to make sure I heard things right because the sound quality is so poor in there. All right. So you showed up the pretty much run of the mill, happy go lucky board of trustees meeting. Yep. Did any of your reporting come up? Yeah, not one thing Hmm. was mentioned from the reporting this week. Uh, Bill Cherry gives his board chair report and he said, quote, it's skinny this month. And the one thing that he did mention was that the trustees had to go through a mandated ethics training. That's good. And ended it on that. And then uh, Jim Morton presented his president's report. He typically reads this to the trustees. It's on the, uh, you know, the screen and he just reads it verbatim. And then after um, he got done, then Bill Cherry said, great report, President Morton. And again, he didn't have anything he didn't have to address anything that came up in my reporting. Now, you had told me that you'd spoken with uh, trustee Ray Funderburk 
and that he had said he he might comment after the meeting, after he sort of got some more information. Yeah, let's go ahead and hear what he said. Commenting on news stories as a trustee is not necessarily what I should do, but I would like to know more about some of those. I have no idea what the tenor of the board as far as those stories is concerned because they were not brought up. But I was uneasy after reading some of those stories and would like to know more. So I hope that we can maybe hear more from Mr. Funderburg, you know, in the, in the coming weeks if he gets a chance to learn about that stuff. Um, there was also, I mean, one of the things Funderburg was interested in was the issues with the Marine Tech Program. Yes, that is one uh, thing that they did address from my past reporting was the controversy over the changes to the ship's crew. That's the Cape Hatteras. It's their main research vessel where they take students out to learn how to operate that ship. It's one of the best programs on the East Coast for marine technology. So he was really invested in understanding what happened to the compensation time policy that led to the captain resigning over. Uh, So, you know, and the students, that's why they showed up is because they wanted to have answers as to why their captain resigned. And again, it was over this leave policy. Um, So Ray made it a point to push Jim Morton and have him answer why this policy was changed and then changed back after the students spoke out very loudly against this because they were upset with the two resignations of the crew that happened. Um, So he necessarily, he really didn't answer anything. I mean, he did say in terms of um, FLSA, which is the Federal and uh, Labor and Standards Act, He said that non-exempt employees could get, you know, they could get compensation time, um, but, you know, he wanted to move forward and change it to C time. So that was the only thing was the change in the name. So uh, I, you know, again, those students were there. I interviewed Maggie Oxendine, who's the president of the Marine Tech Club, and I asked her about this exchange between Funderburk and Morton. I felt like the questions that Mr. Funderburg were asking were straightforward and open and should have been easy to answer, but I just felt a lot of deflection from Mr. Morton. So no, I we do not have those answers. And Maggie actually tried to follow up on uh, those questions and what happened to the, what happened with that? Yeah, she went up to uh, Mr. Funderburg and said, thank you so much for kind of trying to get to the bottom of why this policy was changed and then changed back. Again, this is about compensation time while they're at at sea. Um, and as she was speaking with him, someone came up to, to talk with her. And as I was speaking with him, Michelle Lee came up and interrupted, said she has the answers to those questions. So I asked her, why is the policy change? Where can you point me to? She said, FLSA. It's um, federal, and I was like, I understand that. I grasped that. Where's the paperwork? Point me to the policy number. She couldn't. She wouldn't do it. She deflected as well, so I had to walk away from uh, speaking with her. It got so kind of tense and heated. Well, Maggie Oxendine, if you're listening, uh, I'm sympathetic to your frustration. We have, for a long time, uh, been trying to get just basic answers and some documentation out of uh, CFCC about this. You also uh, spoke with Funderburg after the meeting about his take on this. Yes, I did. And before I'd like to say that 
when he first questioned Morton during the committee meeting about this, he's, Morton responded, well, there's a lot of disinformation out there. And no one followed up on what that was. And again, for the marine tech stories, I've reached out to the college directly for comment, no answers. And so I got my information directly from the marine tech chair's emails sent to the students to tell them what's going on. So my source was pretty good for that. So Again, here is Ray Funderburk trying to, well, telling us that he really didn't get an answer from Morton either. What I'd like to know is the genesis of it. Why did they decide to make a change? What were the rules, the laws? They keep saying there were laws that affect that. I'd like to know what, how those laws affected the people on the boat and why they did it at that time. It seems to me that they made a decision. Uh, the decision was contested not only by the crew who resigned and by the students who were very upset with what happened, it seemed, and then they reversed the decision. So again, more frustration from Ray Funderbrake about not getting clear answers on documented things that happened. We know this policy change was made. We saw the reaction from the crew and the students who, you know, organized and protested en masse, and the policy got walked back. So we know this happened. We just want to know why? What was the impetus? So no clear answers on that, but you do have a you have some update on the Marine Tech program. I do. Just today, um, Jason Rogers, who is the chair over this uh, program, sent to the students, quote, scientific technician Bill Davis has withdrawn his resignation and will remain in his current position. This change in policy by the college would not have happened without the amazing response of our currently enrolled students. Not only did they make their voices heard, but rallied many of our employees and graduates to reach out to administrators, end yeah. quote. So there's still a little bit more you're trying to dig up about this story. What is that? Yeah, I am really trying to, what Maggie and Ray are after, uh, what, why this decision was made, and then why it was walked back. And if it's federal law, it doesn't appear that that's the case, if they could just change a term um, so easily to allow them to essentially get compensation time. It's just labeled differently. So it sounds like, again, with Ray saying about the timing, did they really do their due diligence and understanding? Could this have all been avoided? And I actually talked to um, Maggie Oxendine. They still can't go out on the Cape Hatteras because there's not a captain right now. Yeah, our captain's still gone. Still gone. We still don't have a captain. I understand Mr. Rogers is looking and I trust his judgment more than anybody. But if this didn't have to happen, like Captain Bobby would still be here. And I respect that man a lot. And I think that's the thing that I took away from your reporting to remember here is that Mistakes happen, but there are consequences. And for the students, the, the sailing vessel, that is the program. I mean, that is what gets them their foot in the door for jobs or for further education. And being without that is, is going to hurt them. And I think for the college to just sort of look the other way, I don't know. I understand why the students are frustrated. I understand why the crew is frustrated. And I understand why trustee Ray Funderburg was frustrated. Yeah, because, I mean, there is no a concrete answer that has been provided by President Morton. And this has come up in my reporting before that, hey, there's a problem here or you need to clear this up and there's no response or there's deflection. And they really did try to get an answer of what happened and that just didn't occur. I mean, at one point, President Morton was talking about a welding instructor. He tried to change the topic entirely and not address anything that was brought up by Ray Funderburg.
Yeah. Well, we've got about a minute left, Rachel. I know you haven't heard anything from the college. I know we're still waiting for a lot of answers there. What has the other feedback been like? Yeah, I mean, I already have two employees that want to speak with me. One's a former, one's a current. So they're seeing my reporting and they're saying, well, I can, you know, come and talk to her potentially and and see what we can do because I'm trying to expose some of the issues that often get swept under the rug. Yeah, I'm sure. And are there other things that you'd like to look into, you know, in the coming months? Yeah, I would like to get an answer to this marine tech program. I'm hoping they fill these email requests that I have asked for, um, and I've asked for them on September 2nd. That would clue me in to what actually happened and how it went down. So I'm still waiting for those email records, and when they come in, I'm hoping they'll tell me what happened. Yeah. Well, you can find links to all of Rachel's reporting at whqr.org. We'll have uh, links to the most recent series on the show page. Also, Rachel, you've put together a pretty exhaustive list of all of the coverage of issues at Cape Fear Community College. It's a Google Doc, so uh, when you find the show page, you can click on that. And if you want to go down that rabbit hole, we have provided the ladder. So, Rachel, thank you so much for all your reporting. Thank you, Ben. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have for this edition of The Newsroom. Thanks to WHQR's own Rachel Keith for all her reporting, and of course, WHQR's technical team, Ken Campbell and Jonathan Furnell. If you missed any part of this program, you can find it at whqr.org. And of course, you can find it as a podcast, pretty much everywhere you could find a podcast. If you have thoughts or comments about today's program or ideas for a future show, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Ben Schockman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom.